Hey, Duncan. Hey, James. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's Friday. What's not to like? As, as my friend Moff says, there are good days, there are bad days, and there are Fridays. I love that. <laughs> Friday. Yeah, Friday. It's like on, on a good week, the best day is Friday. On a bad week, the best day is Friday. But Friday is yep. never bad. It's just the uh, best day of the week. <laughs> okay, Duncan. So I've been pondering um, this quote that I, I, I think you would, you would find interesting. So tell me if you've heard this. The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Yes, I have. Great quote. Love it. Uh, say it a bunch. Um, and I think it's, it's fair because the world gets different changes. Now, sometimes change worse, but hopefully change better mm. by people mm. making changes. It doesn't change automatically, you know. Um, yeah. And so to me, this is really cool. Like the knowledge that it's possible to change the world is freeing, I think. Um, yeah. And that, you know, to, to me, like it's the default that you sort of comply or, or go along with the status quo. Mm. Um, but mm. hopefully you don't do that all of your life in, in all areas. Uh, yeah. So to me, it's really cool. It's like, okay, to change is possible, but excuse me, it, to change is also normally a lot of work. Yeah, well, it's very, uh, it's very interesting food for thought, which will set the theme for today's podcast. So firstly, welcome to Cloud Streaks, a podcast where Duncan and I uh, like to get together over you know, some very random set of periods. Uh, we're trying to be consistent, but we'll get there. Uh, and discuss on a, an interesting topic or something that we f we feel like would be worth exploring, um, you know, over a long form conversation. And so today, um, thinking about this quote and the, the the idea of progress and making progress, it it made me think more on the topic of leadership. And I thought it would be really fun to just explore this a little bit further um, around what we think about leadership, why we think maybe it's important, and what we think makes a great leader. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe the first thing is like, what is the definition of leadership? And I'm sure there are many. And I was gonna put forward one, James, you don't have to agree with it. <laughs> Leaders, are, by this definition of that quote, you know, from George Bernard Shaw, they make change happen. So they actualize change, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So some people help, but they're not the people leading it, right? So mm. if you're not having any change occurring, maybe that's not leadership, that's just following ship, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so to me, um, yeah, and the key thing to have change, okay, you've got to have a vision. So if there's, what's the most upstream thing for change? A vision for that change. So to me, yeah. perhaps the single most important part of being a leader is the vision for change. And then the second most important part is being able to actualize that change into reality. Um, yeah. Now then everything else is downstream. I'm not saying the other stuff doesn't need important or whatever, but perhaps that's the most upstream part of what being a leader is. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about like all of these, you know, traits that we could potentially list out on what we think makes a good leader. But I think vision is worth its own like topic. And, own and the reason being its own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, but the reason being is, you know, similar to what you said, which is, uh, you know, if, if leaders are agents for change, I would it would posit itself that, well, we need to have some, I guess, understanding of what that change is you know otherwise it, it might just be completely random and and a vision i feel like articulates that and i would i would posit that you don't necessarily have to be the one who creates the vision but it would be at least something that you master and you own and you instill in you know throughout the rest of you know whoever it is that that you are leading, <laughs> I should say. Mm. But I agree that I think it starts with a vision because without that, there, there's no real um, you know, agent for you to create that change from. Yeah, I just made this up. There are soldiers, there are sergeants, and there are generals, right? So a general is able to set vision, right? A sergeant is able to manage. So a good manager helps make the vision happen, but they don't set the vision. And a soldier is a good follower. Mm. And so you probably need all three. But if you don't have a general, someone setting the vision, then it's very hard to go anywhere. Uh, mm. And so I think perhaps being a good manager, there's much more commonality to it. So for instance, I think some of the people that are visionaries, uh, it can be in you know, many fields. I think mainly we, we talk about business, but you can also talk about politics or whatever. You can argue Xi Jinping's a visionary. You can argue that Hitler was a visionary. You know, 
Um, I don't necessarily agree that there are visions about making the world better. In fact, I think both of them are making the world worse. Um, but they but, were effective. Yeah, they're, they're extraordinarily effective. Um, managers, you know, it's kind of like you're not setting the vision, you're just helping organize the vision to happen faster. Yeah. yeah. And so to me, like good people person, those are those things, you know, but if you've got a vision and you're able to collect other people to help you go on that vision, that's the most important thing. And you look at many leaders, like, I don't know, Xi Jinping has off lots of, you know, his, his, you know, people that are against him. Steve Jobs is famous for firing people in lifts. Elon's famous for firing people on the, you know, uh, factory floor. You know, Steve, you know, Bill Gates yelling at people in the 90s, et cetera, et cetera. And so these people are not what I think you would describe as a textbook good manager. In fact, almost textbook bad manager. But they were able to lead companies of, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of people able to mm. actualize extraordinary change. And I think they had epic visions uh, mm. as well. Uh, and so it's funny. It's like often, we sort of thought it was last time, to become great, a, the best at something, normally takes doing more work than anybody else in that area. That's like hardcore intensity, right? And it means that when you get knocked down, and this happens to almost everybody, you get up. So the combination of doing more work intense and getting up often turns one into a pretty interesting character. Super steely, super intense, you know, low, you know, sort of patience, etc. right? But that's a second order outcome of them being epic at what they do and then also building epic vision. So those two things, being epic at what you do and epic vision, I think are way more important in leadership, you know, than they are in management. Mm. So I, there's, there's, there's three tiered approach, the general, the soldier and the... Uh, the Marshal, so, I can't remember what the middle one. So, so soldier, <laughs> sergeant, general. general, yeah. Um, I feel like there could be a strong overlap over like the Simon Sinek, the why, the what, and the how. Mm. And you know, you, when you, when you're talking about a vision, it's kind of like, what is your why? Like, what is the um, you know the idea that you hold uh, in terms of the direction that you're trying to to lead people in, and and this this this, this sergeant level or the manager could then be that person who is the caretaker role. Okay, so this is what we're going to do, which is, you know, I would uh, I would argue is kind of tantamount to the strategy that we want to deploy in order to achieve this vision. Right, so, I mean, um, like, like your vision, Duncan, if I, if I understand it correctly, is to improve world education or something like that, uh, purposely uh, broad. But there are so many ways in which you could do that. So maybe there is a little bit more dimension to just setting a vision because it also helps on setting a path to get there. So maybe it's vision and strategy at the at the leader level and then managers help implement that strategy. I don't know. Hmm. I think if I was trying to look at sort of characteristics of leaders, whether it's in like politics or whether it's in academia or, or whether it's in business or whatever, Vision was the, the sort of main area of commonality, um, you know, and then again, a lot of these people aren't necessarily known as, I suppose, the nicest or most enjoyable people to work with. Doesn't mean they weren't the most rewarding people to work with because somebody who is extraordinarily effective, inspiring, etc., can be rewarding whilst not necessarily being the best person to work with, but they can only get away with that if they are inspiring and reward, you know, rewarding, right? Um, and so to me, the main commonality that I could see for leadership was vision or a way for the world to be different to now. Mm. All the rest of it is kind of optional. So if we, can, if, we can, if we can argue that vision is kind of like where it starts, it's one thing to have you know, a vision of a better world, but what is it that we think makes you know, the Elon Musk and the Steve Jobs different is, I think, the competence or the ability to implement that vision. And, you know, you spoke a bit about that execution layer. And I think that actually goes a long way in terms of what it means to be a great leader, in terms of being able to back that up with your own, I guess, ability to, you know, show people the way through your own hard work or through your own level of confidence as well. And, like, whether that is something where you, you kind of like paved the way for those uh, you know before you or whether you've instilled this in such a manner that, so that people don't feel like that you're leading from the back you're leading from the front and I and I and I honestly feel that that's something that really separates 
you know, anyone who can be considered like some form of charismatic leader, like, um, I forget Virgin Galactus leader already. Um, <laughs> Richard <laughs> Branson. Richard Branson, uh, as opposed to someone like an Elon Musk who's always there on the factory floor. Like that, that, that ability to instill confidence through their own competence, I think it, it, it's a very magnetic factor. Yeah, I think we talked about this before. Um, to me, confidence is built, arrogance isn't. Confidence is earned, arrogance isn't. I think if you look back at early, you know, whatever, all these people, they were, they were nothings. Just like we all start as effectively a blob, you know, a sort of mm. blank sheet a lot, right? And then others can build us, but I also believe you can build you. Uh, and in the early days, it's more about others building you. But at some point, I think you can be the biggest influence on yourself, i.e. the biggest builder of yourself. Um, and so to me, it wasn't like, oh, I wasn't born with the confidence. I said, no, 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 you need to build the confidence one step at a time. Progress yeah. happens one step at a time. And so to me, it's not like, oh, yeah, I was born and I had my you know, trillion dollar company immediately occur. Uh, two steps forward, one step back is, I, I think, the way to build this. And so slowly your vision over time should level up. So to me, one characterization of vision I have is that the long-term impact you can have to humanity expands each year. So I think about trying to increase the, the scope of what we can do um, sort of organically. I don't like, oh, my, it is that time of the year again, sit down and level the vision up. It, it just kind of happens, right? And the other mm. part is, I suppose for the confidence is that you're making progress each year and that builds your confidence. Cause if you're going backwards each year, it's, it's hard to, I suppose, you know, have confidence in yourself. It's also hard to get people to want to join you on this journey. And so it's that, you know, confidence is definitely part of it. I, I agree. Um, mm. But confidence, I think, is built just like vision is built. Yeah. So what I love about, well, one of the things I resonated very, um, very closely to was when I heard the phrase, confidence is not knowing you're right. It's knowing that you can very well be wrong, but being okay with the outcome either way. It's a great and quote. I think, Do you know who that's from? Or, or did you make it up? I didn't make it up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it was something that when I came across it, it, it suddenly clicked a lot of things for me. And that's what I think is actually, um, a, like for me, a hallmark of a great leader. Because one, I, I, when I think about leaders that I've worked for or that I've gravitated towards, I've always seen this sense of confidence in them. But it was not to, to, to use the example of um, you know, this semblance of arrogance where they just had this vision and they're like going to go down this path and believe in their own conviction to a fault. It was more like the confidence that they had was we're going to get through this together. All we have to do is just keep moving forward. And if, if nothing else, anticipate that you are going to come up against whether you call them failures or um, challenges that's going to uh, you know, more or less cause the entire mission to have to either adjust or even pivot. Um, but like another great quote was like, you know, it's the, the pathway to success is all is never to give up um, moving forward. It's like it's just to mm. continue um, down the path. And that path is very rarely the one that you originally set out on. So mm. this idea of willingness to fail, willingness to be wrong, I think it's such a huge strength to that um, leadership component. Maybe this is the way to look at this. I think you got this. Are there, what are the common factors between great leaders? And I, I do want to investigate people like Xi Jinping, who I think is a great leader, but I think is net bad for the world. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, so not just, I don't know, FDR or something, who I think is a great leader and good for the world. Um, and so the first one that sort of came up with was like vision. So the quote that James started with, the reasonable person adapts himself to the world, the unreasonable person adapts the world to them, therefore all progress relies on the unreasonable person. Well, you've got to have a vision for how the world should be different, that you want to change the world. Uh, you know, in. That's one. And I think it's hard to know a leader. I can't think of a single one that doesn't have that. The next one that James put uh, forward was confidence. And I think that's fair. Like the confidence again is built um, to me, just like vision is built. Um, and to me, slowly over time, confidence is needed to uh, stick with it, you know, to not have it ref you know, sort of default back to the status quo. And then I think something that James said, are you a source of support or are you a source of challenge? I think the next one I'd like to put forward for consideration, James, is that mm. leaders, you know, vision, 
confidence and a source of challenge. It's mm. more important that they are a source of challenge and a source of support uh, towards changing the world. And some people, if, that, if you give someone a challenge, they're like, stuff off, mate, no way, right? And others, you'd be like, all right, you've, you've, you've made me want to lift, you know? So that's really cool. So source of challenge would be the next common thing that I think good leaders have. Well, yeah. So I, I mean, like to create progress is to, um, you know, to move from a state of inertia and that requires, um, you know, some form of energy. And I think as a leader, if you can instill this idea of, you know, challenging those around you to whether it is through inspiration or is through, um, no, not necessarily compulsion, but some form that's going to get more out of people than they otherwise would have been able to achieve on their own. Uh, you know, it's a really, really, uh, you know, powerful concept. And like, while I do think challenge is kind of like, maybe that's what it takes to get started. At some point, I feel people will buy into the leader's vision almost as much as they do. And in some cases you can almost then flip the switch and start looking at your role as a supporting mechanism instead of it just being about challenging them as well. Hmm. Well, I mean, everyone needs support from time to time, but hopefully only if they're extenuating recent circumstances that necessitate it. If you need support all day, um, then you're probably a dependent. You're not really helping too much. You know, yeah. you're needing help. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, to me, um, I think, that if you've got a vision and you've got confidence and you've made progress, like you, you, you know, you're inspiring. So maybe inspiration is a separate thing because, but you know, you know, then you might be able to challenge people and they'll want to respond in a way that's positive, not like, you know, you're being unreasonable. And so to me, I think that, that leaders often uh, have done the work to be extraordinary in some, some area. Um, mm. And that as such command respect, if that makes sense. Or, or are inspiring. Maybe inspiration and respect are synonyms of a sort. They're not exactly the same, but they're also not exactly different. Mm. And that if you have that, then I think you're able to challenge people and them to respond in a positive some fashion. Mm. So I think almost anyone could challenge somebody, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean they're gonna respond well. Do you know what I mean? So a source <laughs> of challenge where like Elon says that we have to operate with extreme urgency, otherwise we may not get to Mars in time. So he's basically trying to do it within his lifetime because I think once he's gone, it's hard to believe that SpaceX as an example will be the same as it would be with him there. Um, and, you know, long may Elon live. Uh, he's 50, I don't know. Let's hope he's got at least another 50 years, right? Um, and so he's able to get them to work 24 seven, you know, which is, um, you know, I don't think, you know, many other people would be able to get that to occur, but does he work 24 seven? Or he works, you know, 80 plus hour weeks? Yeah, so he's, he's there having a meeting at 1 a.m. discussing things with them all. Not, you know, at home, having a massage at, you know, 6.30 and expecting them to be there. So to me, <laughs> source of challenges is crucial, crucial. Yeah. So maybe like one rubric could be, um, you know, you could, you could argue that the vision is the most well-formed in Elon's head. He, I think, will have thought this through at least initially more than anyone else in terms of what he feels it's going to take to get to Mars. Like anyone can like you know, conceptualize, you know, building a rocket ship company to get to Mars. But I think Elon has put the next layer of thinking around, well, what is that going to take? And the gap between having that level of fidelity trapped in your head and in, and then replicating that in other people, that, that gap, I think, requires challenge in terms of challenging others. And when you get to a point where other people have finally arrived at the le same level of, um, you know, comprehension on that vision and they bought into it the same way that Elon has, then I think you've actually, you know, you know, whether you want to call it, um, uh, you know, a true believer or someone who's actually now has got just the same level of inspiration and motivation as you do, um, doesn't necessarily need as much um, the same level of challenge anymore and the, the the kicker here is though maybe that never happened maybe that the leader is the one who is always thinking about the vision uh, to begin with and so they're always like one step ahead of everyone else and so they're trying to constantly bring everyone along by you know creating that 
um, you know, that, that, that challenging environment for them. Mm. I think one way to be inspiring, I'm sure there are many, is to be epic at what you do, right? Mm. <laughs> and one, the only way to be epic at what you do, I know, is to do the work to level yourself up to become epic. Yeah. So again, I think, I don't know, Hitler was an extraordinary speaker. <laughs> Uh, you, you still watch that stuff on YouTube and you feel like you're sort of spine tingle. I don't speak German, right? <laughs> it's just like, holy crap, <laughs> get swept up in this. Um, and to me, you, you, the same thing, listen to FDR speak, you're like, oh my God. You know, so these people are extraordinary orators. Um, they also had a vision, you know, which we've talked about as sort of these things. So, I mean, I think if you want to be a politician, if you're not great at speaking, it's hard to be a great politician. You can have plenty, there's plenty of politicians that aren't great at speaking. I'm, I'm not saying all of them are, but I would say that a commonality of the best ones is great orators. And mm. I think if you're like, I don't know, whatever, in a tech startup, it's being an engineer. You know, that, that's what you've got to be great at. Really, really great. Mm. Uh, orator means orator. So I'm going to you know, you're good at speaking, oration. Um, uh, so to me- I know, what, I know what an orator is. I didn't know if oratant is a real word. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, yeah. Um, so um, to me, leadership, one part is vision. Two is confidence. Confidence comes from runs on the board, uh, you know, uh, and then inspiring means you've got to be one key way to be inspiring, bloody good at what you do. And then if you've got that, then you can be a source of challenge. And so some managers are, are facilitators, they get rid of roadblocks. They kind of iron things out, you know, they build relationships. Others, you know, command people to level up through being a source of challenge. And so to me, I suppose, if you're not able to be a source of challenge, then it's probably hard to think you're gonna, you know, actualize large change. Yeah, so we've got vision. So when, when, when we say confidence, I think that is the, the idea of being okay with being wrong. Um, competence is what I would say is like, you've got runs on the board, you've got discipline, right? Then maybe that's what it takes to get runs on the board is that you, mm. you, uh, you, know, you, you, are, you are far more in control of your own destiny and you are able to, you know, make the commitment to apply yourself in seeing that vision through. One of the other things that I think is really important, and I don't know if it's the same as confidence slash being wrong, but it's adaptability. Uh, and one of the, the, the best quotes I, I resonate here is, is Bezos's, you know, yes, be stubborn on the vision, but be flexible on the details. And I, and I think that's something important when it comes to leadership because there have been you know no shortage of startups where you've had a very very compelling and charismatic founder with a very strong vision but they would probably follow that vision almost to a fault and not listen to the data or to the market or to what the customer is saying and they never adapted and so maybe this is like the inverse of arrogance when you don't bend to the will of or what you're what you're seeing in the market but i think this idea of adapt adaptability is something crucial for you know any leader particularly mm. when you might have a vision of a better world but that's not the same as being able to predict how it's going to play out just playing angels advocate like i think uh some good leaders or effective leaders anyway like cult leaders like david koresh you know or, you know mm. from waco texas or, or whatever right or Nexium, that guy recently, I've forgotten his name. These people are not flexible on the details. <laughs> and they, they have a vision. Donald bloody Trump. Yeah, I think he's more akin to a cult leader than he has to like, I don't know, a leader leader. Um, mm. And so to me, he's, you know, fake news. He's trying to get people to, to disqualify any mm. information that goes against whatever they're saying. You know, so basically become ideologues, one-eyed. Yeah. Um, so I think to be a good leader, you need to be hopefully, well, this thing, I don't even think stubborn on the vision. You just need to be constant. To me, you need to be constantly upgrading the vision. But sometimes that's not, oh, we got bigger and better. It's like, oh God, we were 90 degrees off course, people. You know, veer <laughs> this way. You know, because I mean, that happens. Sometimes it's not just 90 degrees off course. You weren't just going the wrong, you know, you know sort of 0% right. You were negative 100% right. Yeah. You literally were going 100% the wrong direction. Um, and so to me, I think being a pragmatist is required to be a good leader. Just do what works. And an ideologue is required to be, a, I don't know, a bad leader, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, you just ignore anything that doesn't fit with your view, you know, 
But this is the weird thing. Like, if you want to change the world, you've got to ignore some of the things that ways are now. Mm. But, you know, so the, the trick is to ignore the good things and to uh, embrace the things that, sorry, ignore the bad things, whatever, uh, good yep. things, and, and embrace the bad things, but not to ignore everything. Okay, that's, that's a good yeah. one. You can't, yeah. to be a good leader, you must not ignore everything, but you must ignore something. <laughs> Which things, right? Uh, that's, that's where it gets tough, you know? Well, so the, the unreasonable man adapts the world to him, but I would say there are limits to that. So, I mean, like Donald Trump is one example. Hitler's another, where... Well, they're bloody they're... not too dissimilar as far as I'm concerned. Horrible, horrible <laughs> humans. Yeah. But they were both uh, like very fixed in how they wanted to play out you know, the, the vision that they had for Racist, the fascist world. bigots. That's what those two are as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what they arguably both have in common is that they played out their ideology to its end. And it's, and I would posit that that end was in fact was met with failure, and so are there is, is there is there an argument because you know when you were saying like there was cult leaders for example, uh, and other people maybe Kim Il Jong is another one where they're not Kim Il Jong wanted. Kim Jong Il I mean, that was a Kim good spiritism. <laughs> well, I haven't done one in a while. I'm due. Yeah. Um, where they're not flexible on the details or the vision. Um, had it just not played itself out long enough yet. <laughs> They're just waiting um, for it to have, you know, its day in the sun. And yeah. one of the things that I think is, is really, I think, a helpful heuristic here is when it comes to leadership is it's not what the idea or the vision that they hold is the, the way in which they imp- go about implementing that. And that's why I think things like adaptability or confidence in that it's okay to be wrong are far more amenable traits rather than someone who has got such insane levels of charisma and um, you know compelling oration skills that might initially be effective but over the long run uh, end up failing. Mm. I should say, look, whilst I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, uh, I'm not uh, not fan of um, the Republican Party. As an example, I think Mitt Romney was quite a good human who was a sort of uh, Republican nominee beforehand. I think that uh, Senator Senator John McCain, who's along with us, was, was actually a very good you know, human. Uh, I'm not the world's biggest fan of 43, George W. Um, having said, which I do think he was a patriot and that he meant well, I just think they overstepped the line and they did a number of silly things like enhanced interrogation techniques doesn't appear to me to be the right part of the line. I know that 9-11 just happened, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and whilst, you know, I, I don't agree with a lot of what I think Trump did, you know, most of all tried to effectively overthrow the American democracy, which to me is, you know, sedition and unforgivable. Uh, he was doing his level best to break it. Um, and people helping him, such as like, you know, Stephen Cohen or whatever, uh, uh, honestly should be, in my opinion, jailed. Um, and so to me... Um, I suppose the thing that I have the most commonality with Trump is that I think he was one of the first people to properly stand up to China. And China wasn't what it is now, 10 years ago. Before Xi Jinping, it was on a very different path. I think on a liberalisation path to joining the world you know, order. Um, and then it veered off course. Um, and so it, I think it was relatively clear that you know, four or five years ago, um, and we, we're going to a bipolar world again. There was a bipolar world before the USSR fell. Now and then the unipolar world, um, you know, and you had this. So I suppose, yeah, um, I, I really don't hope that Trump is president again. Um, and I'm not <laughs> a fan of Trump. Uh, but, you know, I, for instance, I've voted for um, liberals in Australia and I voted for Labor in Australia. Um, and so I, I, I hope that I'm not an ideologue, um, <laughs> despite not being a fan of Trump. But, but there's something to be said there. Like the fact that, and, and I agree, that you would have to say, I hope he's not president again. It's not like everyone can now breathe a collective sigh and like, oh, well, that was crazy. Not doing that again. So not we're all, so not Well, we're, we're all, exactly. We're all sitting here wondering what's going to happen next. And it doesn't feel like it's over. And so I get the point. There's a presumptive I'm, Republican nominee for the next presidential run. Mm, and if you look at so, what happened, yeah, in which was the state that had their governor election last week, Virginia or whatever, where the Democrats took the slacking. Doesn't look good. 
So, doesn't agree. So you don't have to agree with any one of his policies or who he is as a fundamental human being. <laughs> um, but I do think for him to be the presumptive Republican nominee after everything that happened under his uh, leadership, I think there's something to be said about his effectiveness as a leader. And if you, if we can try and identify what that is, it will, I think, be an interesting, you know, thought exercise in being able to distinguish ourselves from. Well, <laughs> can it be done? No, keep though? going, keep going. Yeah, I just like yeah, this is where this well, like, here. well, can we um, separate ourselves from the the personal uh, uh, distaste, shall we say, of this human being that is Donald J. It's Trump? So distasteful. And look at, well, what is it about him and how he operates that makes him such an effective leader? All right, I'll give you part of it. Um, There was mass dissatisfaction in the US um, Mm. based on a number of things, but the GSC broke part of their model. Um, I think that inequality isn't the root cause of the problem. It's actually the minimum wage, which is the root cause of the problem. Australia has the highest minimum wage in the world based on a purchasing power parity basis. Uh, and the that. US is about half of the Australia. Uh, so below a certain wage, you are below the living wage. So the minimum wage in the US is not a living wage. If you work full time, you don't be able to have the ability to put a roof over your head and food in your mouth, whereas in Australia you do. Some would argue because Australia has the highest minimum wage in the world that it's too high. I'm not sort of trying to touch that, but I think it's hard to say that the US minimum wage isn't too low. What this means is that if you're born there, you're stuck in a poverty trap. Um, and in a poverty trap, one of the only ways to get out is to do things like crime. They then have quite silly drug laws that three strikes and you're out. And so there are people, for instance, in prison for 20 years for three possessions of weed, which is now legal in in states like California, right? Um, And so what this poverty trap leads to is excessive crime, but excessive crime leads to the ghettoization of their cities. The ghettoization of the cities means the, the white flight, and it also means you get stuck in a criminal sort of negative feedback loop. They say prison is finishing school for uh, criminals. Um, so they have excess crime. Uh, and so to me, um, I think that one way to help America improve would be to raise the minimum wage significantly. Uh, you need to wait a generation though. <laughs> um, I think also access to healthcare. Um, yes, they're free market you know, believers, but I think it's patently obvious to see that the free market approach to the healthcare system has not done them well, and that they pay 18 cents in the dollar versus Australia or the UK or Canada at nine cents in the dollar for the same or worse healthcare outcomes. And that not being able to get access to healthcare means that the people at the bottom are sort of really stuck. Anyways, I'm, I'm off on a sort of t- tangent about my thoughts on how to improve the US. You could um, be, Duncan. <laughs> Trump uh, was able to pick up on the real dissatisfaction in the US. And I think one of the root causes of that is the minimum wage, much more than inequality. So some rich people are good, some rich people are bad. Some poor people are good, some people are bad. But if the minimum wage is not a living wage, that's not acceptable. You're going to have extraordinary number of second order consequences that really you know, impact your society. And so to me, I would think that the best way to fix that is to lift the minimum wage. And I would also think that the people at the top aren't paying their fair share of tax. I would also increase tax upon them. Um, but I don't think that inequality necessarily is a bad thing. Um, I think that more the minimum wage needs to be a living wage as an absolute bare minimum for society. Okay, so Trump picked up on the dissatisfaction in the US and they say it's much easier to divide than it is to unite. I think that he has literally no shit in the world except for himself. He does not, I mean, maybe his family. You know, is it you, your family, your tribe, your political party, your country, or the globe? I think that presidents of the US prior to this have either been nationalists for US or globalists. I don't think any of them really have been individualists like Trump or perhaps at most his family. And he also does not have any moral threshold he's not willing to cross. Uh, and so Trump was willing to divide. Like, I don't believe any other US president, or at least anyone in modern times, the last 100 years has been willing to do. And that as such, he was able to, during a time of unhappiness, which I think was mainly due to the minimum wage being too low, as opposed to equality being too high, collect a lot of people into his side. Mm. And this divisiveness, so his, his leadership is negative sum versus, I believe, almost all other presidents have been positive sum, um, at least in the last 100 years. Uh, and so he's willing to use tactics that others find morally abhorrent to the point of not being comfortable doing. Mm. Um, mm. So Trump isn't a good leader. He's just a bad human. <laughs> Does not mean that all of his policies were not necessarily bad. Mm. Again, I think standing up to China was uh, a, a thing that needed to happen and that he did it sooner than, for instance, the general, because now it's standard. 
yeah, we, we've slapped you know, tariffs on China and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's made it a lot easier for, say, the Democrats to do that. So to me, he is able to lead because of the circumstances, unhappiness, because of a self-inflicted wound for the US, the main part of that being a minimum wage too low, and because of his willingness to divide, to lie, and to be only about himself. Mm. So like, I think a lot of the, the, the environmental uh, conditions that you, you, you captured there um, you know, sounded a lot like what they just talked about in the Hillbilly Elegy. Um, which kind He's of running like for president, about. right? Or, or thinking yeah. about it. What's his name well, again? Well, what, no, the Hillbilly Elegy was the, was the book. Um, it's a book. About... No, the guy who wrote it. What's his name? Vance. Oh, J.D. Um, Vance. J, J.D. Vance. Yeah, and I've really read that book. I read it before the Trump election, I think. Um, yeah. And it's a great understanding to uh, poor white America, like the Appalachian Ranges. Um, mm. And so, again, in a, there's mass poverty in America due to their silly minimum wage, which is un, hard to understand from Australia if you haven't lived in the US, which just doesn't exist in Australia. And I, I don't believe there are many, many countries where the minimum wage is much, much higher than the US, like almost all of the developed world. Um, and so it's just an own goal of epic proportions that mm. causes extraordinary second order negative outcomes. And yeah. so it's a really interesting, if you haven't read Hillbilly Elegy, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. So, so what I would get into is that Trump certainly saw an opportunity and he, he pounced on it, you know, um, like a New York rat on a slice of pizza. <laughs> but what I wanted to do was like, let's put him through the, the, um, the framework of what you and I have already gone through um, already. And I'll go in reverse order. All right. So adaptability, no. Humility, don't think so. Competence, so th this is someone who had repeatedly re been reported to not read a single security report. Um, like they had to show him um, anything with pictures, otherwise he wouldn't actually be able to maintain attention span. Um, and, and you just have to listen to any long form interview that he, he went on where you realize that even though he may profess to have or to know the best words and be a very stable genius um, <laughs> it didn't necessarily lend itself um, so um, evidence perhaps might not point in that direction so and, but, and then when it comes to confidence now when I talked about confidence earlier it was with the, the view the lens of humility around like being okay with being wrong I don't think that was Trump at all it was like textbook arrogance and then when called upon, it would be the strategy is double down, triple down, quadruple down uh, and, and not budge. Gaslight the whole uh, of America. Gaslight the whole of America. Uh, you know, all, all of that wrapped up into, you know, a Molotov cocktail. So, uh, but then the yeah, very I top love that, one. Because it, it's Russian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but the top one, which was vision. And so like, I do not want to, uh, you know, be misconstrued uh, putting Trump in the same vein as some of the other visionaries we talked about so far. But I do think what and um, what Trump, like, here's the point I'm getting at. He saw an opportunity, he capitalized. But four years later of incompetence, uh, the arrogance and, you know, whatever damage you might want to, to list out, he's still the presumptive nominee. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out what that is. And for me, I think it is it's this vision that he, he's giving to a large part of America that has for, I think, a, large, a long time been ignored, which is, I'm, I'm your guy and I'm going to be a champion for you. Like, don't look at my action, just look at what I say. <laughs> don't, mm. don't judge me on what I do, judge me by what I say kind of thing. Mm. But that has captured the collective imagination of, you know, uh, with the exception of Joe Biden, more voters in the history of America. And and that I find terrifying. So Well, he like lost this... to Hillary too on the popular vote. So he never oh, yeah. won any popular vote. So I'm well, not sure that's fair. Yeah, but that's not, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the last election, he got more votes than any other president uh, nom presidential nominee in the history except for Joe Biden. So like, it, basically what it's saying is more people turned yeah, out. Yeah, but you've got to look election. at it. There's more Americans than before, you know, and other stuff. Not, so I, I think that's like, oh yeah, but you know, versus FDR. Well, yeah, it was half the population whatever it was a long time ago. So I don't yeah. know that's a reasonable argument, personally. Uh, it's, uh, that's not the argument. The argument I'm making is like, you would think 
if you looked at it in isolation, it would be a he complete He lost both the elections slide. on an actual absolute number to, yes, you know, to yes. Hillary and to this. And so all those equal, he hasn't won on absolute numbers. That doesn't make him popular, in my opinion. Right. You know, right. People would say the Electoral College is broken and that it should be reformed. Right. And that if it allows... I was, yeah. If I was to be given a case study on everything that he did over four years, like take America out of the picture, take Donald Trump out of the picture, I'll just give him a case study. Here's this leader or this this um, this elected official who did all of these things and this is how he behaved and this was his approach and this is what, um, you know, the impact he drove. What do you think his re-election numbers would be? I'd be like, zero. Like, no one would vote for this person again. Why, why would they do that? And yet... <laughs> Something yeah. in the, All right, in let's, the realm. Uh, let's pause here. Can I can I say something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I think that being epic at what you do mm. is one component of being a good leader. And each field has a different core area to be epic at. If you're talking about building companies, it's normally engineering. It's normally product, right? Mm. Jobs product, Elon product, whatever. You know, Gates product. There's different types of products, right? Forward product, etc. Um, I think in politics, it's oration. Um, it's hard to say Trump is not a very good speaker. Um, the whole uh, who's the the um, uh, what's his name? The, the cartoon guy uh, who does the sort of business ones. Um, not Diplo. That's that's a DJ. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, um, he wrote a book called... Um, oh, Dilbert. Dilbert, yes. Scott Winning Adams. Bigly. Scott Adams, Winning Bigly. Uh, and it's kind of used, talking about the, the, the sort, of, uh, sort of strategies that Trump uses to be able to get, get cut through. Mm. Like, you know, as an example, Trump's naming of people. Just like whatever it was, low energy Jeb or crooked Hillary, you know? And then just having Little this mark. like... He, he's entertaining. I think he was... A, and he chahoned this by being a you know, reality TV show host. So I think, annoyingly, he's an extraordinarily good communicator. <laughs> I also think <laughs> that he has no moral compass and that most people do. You know, he's like a sociopath. Um, and that you combine that too, like only about me with extraordinary ability to orate, combined with a, a very unhappy America. So there's like, mm. it's, it's, you know, the rich are good, the rich are bad, the rich are good, the rich are bad, and going through those cycles, right? Uh, yeah. And we're in one of those, the rich are bad cycles. And to me, again, it's more about the minimum wage. Yes, they should tax the rich more. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Um, but it's not that inequality is bad, which I think is the main story. And the inequality needs to be zero. That's called communism and that's not worked out very well. Um, mm. And so to me, that's this, you know. So does he have a vision? Yeah. The world is wrong, bad, and it's those people's fault. And I'm going to make them pay this. That's a really easy thing. It's a dividing strategy right? Mm. It's almost never that simple. Um, so what do you do? You pick a wealthy minority. They're the best scapegoats. <laughs> um, you know, for instance, the Jews for Nazi Germany, right? Wealthy minority, super easy scapegoats. And, and they're the reason that you're not in awesome life, you know, as opposed to part of the responsibility is on you. Yes, part of the responsibility is others, but not entirely others. So he had a, a vision. It's easy. You know, then he has confidence because his governance. He is a bloody good orator. June. And so this was able to finish. And then he just went around gaslighting the whole of America saying fake news, you know, never believe anything else. Anything that says anything that's not, I don't say is true or that you believe, ignore it. And I don't believe, so he is an ideologue and he has no moral compass. Um, so to me, he's been able to capture a large portion of America, I don't know, a third as a cult. Um, and when you're in a cult, nobody says I'm going to go join a cult. Nobody thinks they're in a cult. But for better or worse, I think a non-trivial portion of America is in a cult. Mm. And he's, you know, the media being polarized as it is and, you know, you can go to your news sources means that you're able to stay in that. Um, I unfortunately think Trump is quite a virile human <laughs> and that, you know, I don't know, Murdoch's in his 90s and punching hard, you know. Trump's not even 80 yet. Has he got another 15 years? Sure. <laughs> Super annoying. <laughs> so I mean and after this I'm going to let it go but I just feel like all of those qualities that we we try to look at as an explanation it's almost like you know that episode of the Simpsons where they said to Mr. Burns he has every single disease known to man but because all of them exist together they can't um they can't get through the door of the body and it just feels like 
you know, if, if, if Clayton Christensen were to try and teach a course on leadership Donald Trump style, I don't think he'd be able to do it. I think he'd be like, no, nah, this is just way too hard basket. <laughs> There's no way I Love can Clay, make sense. rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. Bless him and his milkshakes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, go on. So, um, like, I, I, I'm, in, I'm endlessly curious about trying to understand what it is, and I don't think I'm going to crack it, so I don't think I'm going to get us anywhere here. <laughs> Sounds like um, normal. Ha 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 ha. Oh, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> but like if we if we kind of like think about okay, so this is this is something that you know takes a lot of you know impact away from it, but something I think about leadership is not like if you want to call it mastery over others. They're just <laughs> no, that's well, enslavement. That's not, that's, that's a, like, I would say it's inspiring people to work together in a group that becomes a positive some way to influence the world. Mastery okay, of so others is, to me, quite a negative right. way of putting things right. out. Well, mastery in leading others is what I yeah, should Not over said. others. That's enslavement, yeah. indented servitude. Come okay. here, heal. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we can, we can cover that. In James, you're not a good leader. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit 4,252, you know. <laughs> Do as I say. Yeah. Um, not as I, I think, do. Yeah, I, I think that I think there's a bit to be said about self mastery, um, and mm. your ability to lead yourself. If if it if you can't, I think you know, go go about in a way where you have I think complete mastery of your own autonomy. It it's not going to be one uh, that you can inspire in others. And so what I what I'm getting to is like how do we build ourselves? to become great leaders. Uh, because we've listed off these things, visions, confidence, confidence, blah, blah, blah. You can you can name these traits and you can kind of like point towards them. But I think there's something to be said about, well, what is it about, you know, our own personal journey that, that we go through in mm. order to build these characteristics? All right, um, I know I said confidence is earned, but another great saying uh, from startups is fake it till you make it. Don't just do it through an old style, <laughs> uh, you know? Uh, and so to me, um, Sometimes you've got to act a level above where you are to get to that level. Other times you don't, but you, you, you sometimes do. Um, mm. I'm just going to talk from sort of some of my experience and maybe some of the people I've seen. You know, you've got to set up the environment that allows you to level up and you've got to try to level up. And so one way is to start a business. If you, if you want to do this in business, if you want to do it in politics, if you want to do it in academia, if you want to do it in music, you know, whatever. You know, you want to do it in sport, you know, different things, right? But to me, um, you've got to start to, to work on leveling yourself up every day. Every day I rise, as they say. You do the work every day, same thing. I don't know, I wake up at 5 a.m., I do an hour of research in bed, of reading stuff. Then from 6 a.m. to 7.15, I go to the gym and I listen to podcasts at 5 to 6 x speed and audiobooks. Then I come home, I make breakfast, and I read stuff from 7.15 to 8.15. Then I have a shower. Then I work from 8 a.m. until normally 6 or 7 p.m. Every single day, right? Uh, and on not weekends. Uh, <clears throat> on the weekends, I still read other stuff. You just got to do this, you know? Uh, and if you, that's the table stakes. That's the stakes to get into the game. Hmm. That's not like assuming you're going to do it well. After you've done that, eventually you've got to start something. Whether it's starting your political career. Whether it's putting your hand up to be the captain of the team. Whether it's starting a business. And you will start probably at level zero. If you can come in higher than level zero, awesome. But I think it's presumptive that you will start at level zero. And excuse me, then you go through the process of learning how to think about vision, learning mm -hmm. how to speak to the company. Like I speak minimum once a month, my team's more. Um, I like to believe I'm much better at speaking publicly than I used to. I still get nervous every single time before I speak in the company. I would have done hundreds of times, uh, every single time. Really want to do a good job, deeply. Uh, maybe some people stop getting nervous. Like, I, I think that I would like to not be nervous one day, but also I think if I stop being nervous, then I might start not caring. And I don't want everyone to not care. And so maybe caring equals nervousness, um, whatever. And so to me, there is no shortcut. Effort is the secret to life. Do the work. Put it in every day. Grind. But it doesn't feel like a grind. It feels enlightening, you know, Ooh. energizing. But, it, you know... It sounds like a lot of work and hard work, and it is, but it doesn't mean it's draining. 
done well, it's energising. So I hope that is helpful, James. Does that help at all? Well, no, I think it's very, very much relevant to what we're getting, what I'm trying to get to here in terms of like, you know, mastery of oneself before, because I, I, I do think we're, we're, we're seeing a world where we're a lot more drawn to what's the shortcut? Like, how do I start a million dollar business overnight? How do I, you know, how do I become a great leader? Well, here are the things you need to be a great leader. Not as you laid out, well, this is where you start. And this is, you know, this is the game of small gains on a daily basis and applying yourself in a very regular and methodical way. Mm. And that's what I think, like, I, I think I agree with, you know, the, the sentiment of everything you just said, which is, you know, it really does come down to effort. It really does come down to applying yourself. And this, 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 this notion of nervousness that you, you, you spoke to, I think it's not necessarily nervousness, but it's this idea of discomfort and being comfortable with operating in a perpetual state of discomfort. Always looking to push yourself just beyond that, that sphere of what you're But to also have rest time. Be. You must have rest time. But some oh, yeah. of the time you need to push yourself, but not, not every minute of it. I've tried that. It doesn't end well. Rest is a feature, not a bug, other than what Duncan used to believe. Yeah, resting done well is recharging. Mm. You recharge your well, phone once a day, you need to recharge yourself. And, and, I used to think and, any recharging was waste. Be, I used to that, to finish every day empty. That's not a great yeah, uh, strategy. Is, I would not recommend it's, it. <laughs> yeah. It's not one setting. Like, I think there's also a very strong case for play. Very strong case oh, totally. for, you know, yeah. for humour, levity. Um, you know, je ne sais quoi, all of those kind of <laughs> things. <laughs> we should try to do a podcast in French. It would last about three seconds. Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, but all of those things, I would also posit uh, ingredients for, you know, whether you want it to be a meaningful or enjoyable or overall rewarding life. But when it comes down to like, okay, if, if it's leadership that you want to learn, then it is this, this semblance of, well, you got to, you got to start from zero. You got to be willing to start from zero. You got to be willing to apply yourself. And I don't know if willing is the right word. I would almost go as far as to say, you got to be ready to lean into being wrong or um, hitting a wall that you now need to, you know, adjust course or overcome. And, and that, you know, my favorite quote from Winston Churchill, you know, success is from going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. I think that says a lot about, I think that says a lot about leadership too. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to say like, what's the ground floor to being a leader? And maybe that's what you were sort of asking. I don't know. This is my re-articulation. I think it's a really strong work ethic or effort. Mm. It's doing the work. Ground floor. I like and that. then you can slowly start to get better at something. You can slowly start to have more confidence in yourself. You can slowly start to have the authority or credibility to be able to challenge others. You can slowly start to think about change that you might want to have in the world, etc. So to me, you know, if you don't work, nothing will. Um, to get going, start going, you know? Um, <laughs> and so to me, um, I think people are often, oh, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? I'm like, no, don't. You can almost never know. I, I think mo the best, you know, answers that cannot be questioned are better than questions that cannot be answered. So don't worry about knowing the answer to the question. You know, to me, the best things in life will never be answerable. And so to me, the, the trick is to just start working and to make it up as you go, to fly the plane as, to build the plane as you're flying it. Um, not to try to think that you need to wait for the reason to work. Working gives you the reason, not the other way around. And so to me, it's just like, yeah. yeah the the I, people I think, that I think that I know that have the best jobs that enjoy life the most and have the best relationships yeah. are also the people I, that work the most. I definitely like the, the fake it till you make it. I think Elizabeth Holmes might have taken that a little bit too far. Yeah, but... she, she is a total piece of poo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I agree. Like, it, and, you know, this idea of fake it till you make it, it's really just about, you know, the, the, the vision is not proven until you can almost get to this critical mass. But it's believing that you're still going to get there. Now, you don't want to deceive people along the way, as Elizabeth arguably did. 
but you do want to i think make a case for you, you know look this is a long and this is a hard road but i have every you know and even if i'm wrong tomorrow i have every conviction in myself and the team around me that we can you know you know we can eventually get to you know the vision that we set for ourselves and that vision may also change as well but, but if you it, it does like it almost said, invariably will yeah so to me it's like, like you stop on the vision like no 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 change and update the vision as required <laughs> and also the details <laughs> no no change it up like just mix it up <laughs> <laughs> changes all right cool yeah. I think it's it's summary time, mainly because I need to go to the toilet. I mean, need to go to the toilet for like fifteen minutes. <laughs> and I can't do this anymore. It's like you know, I've been I've been drinking a beer during this. Uh, it's Friday. It's five thirty-two p.m. Um, so uh, yeah, um, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Oh, uh, you go first this time. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, when James put this topic forward of like what makes great leaders, uh, and I sort of shifted it to the commonalities between great leaders. I was like, oh, didn't we talk about this last time with Ted Lasso and Jordan? Um, but we haven't, you know, we could, let's just only ever do two podcast episodes on this topic forevermore. Um, to me, I think there is some commonality between great leaders, um, but there's also a lot of stuff which people I don't think is necessarily admirable. It's hilarious. The more admirable you are in other er- some areas, the, the more you can get away with being a pain in the ass in some. You know, nice guys finish last no because they're last they have to be nice and if you're first you can be a douchebag and get away with it you know um how do you get to be that you get to be fucking good at what you do <laughs> the best strategy and from my side the only strategy i'm aware of to become great at something is to do the work and so to me done well the work is not hard but you know rewarding the work is not draining but energizing they say every year should be the best year of your life i think that can be true if you build your life to be better each year. I don't think it just happens. You just get luck of the draw. This year was a good year. This year, well, what would next year be? I don't know. Let's spin the wheel and see what it lands on. Um, to me, um, yeah, you want to become great at something. I think that's a really good hack to enjoying life. Mm. I think when you do that, you can challenge others because you've challenged yourself to become great at something. I think if you've been able to become great at something, you have confidence. And if you have confidence, you can continue to stay into your ground when others are kind of pushing back now you should, all, should at some points change direction, capitulate, um, but you shouldn't always. And you know through this you should be slowly leveling up your vision. Mm. And so to me, I I think that those things can happen. Now I'm talking about living in, well I suppose I've been through COVID, but peacetime in a first world country like Australia. Um, so it's definitely not possible for I don't know people in Syria necessarily to do this. But I do think that for an increasing portion of the world this is possible. They say we have a crisis of meaning. Um, it used to be just make sure I don't get attacked by the neighboring tribe and it's been a good day. And now it's like you're a thousand times more likely to kill yourself than you are to be killed by somebody else. So why don't you kill yourself with anxiety and FOMO and what's the meaning of it? Um, well, to me, it's mo- most likely that you need to make up the meaning and that that happens through slowly starting to do the work. Mm. And so if you're young in your 20s and you don't have children and a mortgage, I would counsel that you should spend a non-trivial portion of your spare time upgrading yourself. You can wind it back, but if you don't ever start, it's hard to believe you'll get something really awesome built. Well said, Duncan. <laughs> so, so for me, this all started with the idea that all progress depends on the unreasonable man. <laughs> and and, and, and James is a reasonable man, and I'm an unreasonable one. <laughs> <laughs> and and I saw that as well to um, to to generate progress. Um, there is an element of leadership that I think plays a big role. And looking at, you know, well, trying to understand better um, what it takes to be a big leader. Well, what are those commonalities? What's the anatomy of a great leader? Well, I think Duncan and I both agree vision is, is probably the most uh, prevalent amongst all any of the kinds of leaders, whether they were evil doers or you know benevolent dictators or um you know great orators in the uh, the western political spectrum they all had i think a very very compelling vision that uh you know that draw people that drew people in um and that were able to um you know take people on a, on a path to a world that doesn't yet exist there's this idea of confidence and maybe confidence in a healthy way stems from competence which stems from uh you know the ground floor as you said duncan of 
doing the work, applying yourself, instilling discipline, rigor, and being comfortable with being uncomfortable and continuing to grow yourself through that. And so once you develop that confidence, competence and you, um, you have the, the, the right mindset, which is, well, I may have a vision and I may have a plan even of how to get from A to B. I am just as willing for that to all go to shit tomorrow and we then have to adjust course accordingly because what we will have tomorrow that we don't have today is new information that further hones what it is that we you know want to direct our energy towards the the idea of you know humility and adaptability <laughs> may not make it to the final list because of the the, the short i don't think uh, you describe some of the best leaders as humble <laughs> um well trump and, is you know, humble make <laughs> <me> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he quoted on his humility at, at length at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I am a very stable genius. <laughs> he has the best words. Um, uh, but there, there are uh, there is a lot to be said about whether these are you know more tangential to a more long term successful. Um, uh, result as opposed to someone who is a lot more fixed and adamant and ideological if that were to play itself out long enough it might end up failing um, so for me I think it does start with the mastery of yourself uh, and as you described it Duncan it is really st starting from zero and really be willing to go on that journey and uh, form formulating that vision and then people will in invariably as long as you keep moving forward start to pick up on that and join you on your journey wonderful james let's call it toilet so bad um this has been fun i think the last one i was also having drinks so maybe one of the secrets to good energy is to be drunk uh, so i've had 1.5 drinks during this so uh i would not count myself as drunk but it's good thank you james uh talk uh, soon and see you in sydney soon bye cheers Duncan. bye